Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're in this prayer series, and uh, last week we talked about meeting with God. We talked about um, knowing the character of God and how knowing the character of God really shapes the way in which we come to Him. Very important that we set our minds on the attributes of God, and, and those of you uh, who may have received the prayer devotions this last week, received devotions on those subjects. How do we think about God rightly, and then how does that shape our prayer? Um, we passed out a bookmark last week, and uh, we've got some more of those if you didn't get one. There's room on this bookmark for three prayer requests, and we're asking that you would put on this bookmark a personal prayer request, a prayer request for the church, and a prayer request for the world. So personal, church, and world. And that then you would carry this prayer request with you through this series and continue to pray, share it in your home group, and see how God works in relation to these requests that you have. And and we'll make some more of those bookmarks available in just a minute. This week, we're going to be talking about how we come to God. So last week, we sort of talked about the God side of the equation. This week, we're talking about how we approach God in prayer, what needs to happen inside of us in order to be able to come to God, to come into His presence prayerfully uh, in a way that's going to be most fitting to who He is and who we are and what's going on in the whole dynamic situation of prayer. So today, that's what we're going to be talking about. And the devotions, the, we, the daily devotions that go out early in the morning uh, are going to be on this subject of how we approach God. So all week long, you'll be getting an, an additional sort of uh, little installment each morning on how it is that we come to God. And if you're not receiving that, if you're not receiving the, week, the daily prayer devotional that goes along with this series and you would like to, you can simply email to info at solanochurch.org and we'll get you on that list, info at solanochurch.org. Um, I'm going to ask you as we get started to open up to Luke 18, Luke chapter 18. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand and... We have two more, so raise your hand fast. And uh, if you need a bookmark, we've got bookmarks. So if you didn't get a bookmark last week, please raise your hand. This is the time, uh, and we want to pass those out to you. So you can put down, mark down your prayer requests and carry those with you through this series. It'll be really interesting to see how God works uh, through this series as you've identified some sort of crystal clear things that you want to pray about. Um, so please raise your hand if you didn't get a bookmark. We'd love to give you one. We made extras this morning. We went through the effort, so we want to pass them out, okay? Don't be shy. Raise your hand, and we'll give you a bookmark. Great. Those will probably be on the back table afterwards if, if you need them as well. Okay, Luke 18. We're going to start in Luke 18, but uh, we're going we're to be going on to uh, Romans in a little bit. Um, but first of all, I wanted to give us just a brief uh, bit on approaching God. We're going to break this down into two um, um, to, we're going to talk about how we approach God matters, okay, and sort of in a global general sense. And then I want to hone in on approaching God in faith. So I'm isolating this morning this idea of faith as being the one that we're really going to be looking at. But first of all, we're going to talk uh, together about approaching God in general. So those of you who know me, you've heard this story before. Um, when I was in high school, I had this wonderful English teacher. Her name was Miss Gabay. And uh, Miss Gabay was a real challenging sort of teacher, and she was a great teacher. She, t- she would take us all out onto the porch of the classroom, and she would go through our paper. She was an English teacher. She'd go through our paper with us and really give us this individual attention, talk with us about what we did right, what we did poorly, how we could improve, and uh, just really spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes on the porch with each student. It was really wonderful. And so my turn came to go out, and... Um, Miss Cabay took me out on the porch. We started to talk, and um, if you don't, if you haven't heard this before, there's some uh, 
pride issues in my past, uh, hopefully in my past, um, arrogance issues. And so uh, God's still working on that, that part of me. But um, I'm standing there talking to Miss Gabay, and she's telling me what's wrong, and I'm arguing with her regarding every point that she wants to make with my paper. And so I'm debating and saying, well, it's not really that way. And, and it goes on for maybe five minutes or something like that. And finally, she gets so frustrated with me that she takes my paper, she throws it down, okay, great teacher, throws it on the ground, turns around, walks back into the classroom, and keeps on teaching the class. And I was just left. I remember standing there on the porch just sort of dumbfounded. What happened? Well, that year, Miss Cabay was nominated teacher of the California. And then from there, she goes on, and she gets nominated teacher of the U.S., and she goes and meets the president and all this stuff. And I'm watching her. So here, I always say, I had this opportunity to learn from this incredible teacher. And yet, I squandered it because of my pride and my arrogance. I wasn't humble enough to listen to what she was saying, right? Well, there's a similar kind of thing that happens when we approach, you know, not Miss Gabay, but the maker of the universe, the God of the universe, right? We want to come to him with the appropriate attitude so that we can really glean from God everything that we would we would hope to glean from him in prayer. And so, very important how we approach God. And the Bible talks about this uh, in a number of different ways. In Luke 18, starting in verse 9, um, talks about coming to God in humility. Jesus is teaching, and he says, uh, he, he sa- it says this, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector who's next to him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus goes on to say, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So perhaps lesson one in approaching God is to come in humility. We come in humility. One of my favorite uh, writers is Andrew Murray, and he wrote a book called Humility and it's still in print. If you read a book called Humility, and it's still in print like 150 years later, that's a good book. Um, And so I recommend it to all of us. Uh, I've probably read it about 20-something times. Um, Short little book. Still haven't figured it out. Um, But anyway, he says this uh, about humility. He says, absolute, unceasing, universal humility must be the root disposition of every prayer and every approach to God, as well as of every dealing with man. We might as well attempt to see without eyes or live without breath as to believe or draw nigh to God or dwell in His love without an all-pervading humility and lowliness of heart. Humility, absolutely critical to how we approach God. We'll talk a little bit more about that in our prayer devotions this week. Interestingly, not only are we to have humility when we approach God, but we're to be persistent. And it seems like sort of an opposite one. If you're still in Luke 18, look in verse 1 of Luke chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. 
excuse me, and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? God's character is much different than the unjust judge. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so in that that chapter 18, you've got this interesting combination between coming to God with this incredible humility and lowliness and bending the knee before God, and yet at the same time being persistent Now, those two qualities don't often go together, the persistence and the humility. There was a book written a while back on uh, the great CEOs in uh, just the history of companies and sort of researching what their temperaments were like. And the, the, the first thing they concluded was there was this rare combination in successful CEOs of, of large companies that had endured for a long time. There was this rare combination of humility and sort of this dogged persistence. The two went together. And when we come to God, we're to, we're to have both of those, a sense of humility and yet also a boldness and a confidence. But here's the thing. It's not because of who we are. It's because of who he is, right? It's because of who, so because of who he is, we can come to him with boldness and confidence and persistence and ask for incredible things because of his greatness. It honors God to ask him for big things because it demonstrates a faith in how big and great and grand he is. So we approach God with humility and we pro- approach God with persistence and we pro- approach God with a sense of dependence upon him as well. And a lot of these are interrelated, uh, that we might be spirit-led. Uh, and we think of this oftentimes in terms of the answers to our prayers. We, we, we ask that we would be led by the Spirit in our response to what God is doing in our lives. But The Bible even teaches us that we should even be spirit-led in praying, that that God would lead us in prayer. Look with me in Romans uh, chapter 8. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to put this one up because um, we're going to just spend uh, just a brief moment on this one. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And we come to God and, and we try to pray and and we have a sense of what we should pray for, and then at some point, you know, that falls short. We don't understand how to go further. And I, I think this is sometimes also where the, the concept of speaking in tongues comes into place, um, where, where our minds cannot grasp the extent of the needs around us. Um, but the Holy Spirit intercedes and, and helps us in this process. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with the groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. i never forget uh, praying with an older gentleman when I first uh, came out of seminary, and I was at this large church, and there were 11 pastors, and um, this man was in his 80s or mid-80s, and um, funny thing, one day he said, I can't be here tomorrow because i got to go visit my mother. We, we all thought she was 100, so they had long genes in their lives, in their family. But anyway, he said, you know, this years of wisdom and prayer, he would start off oftentimes, and his first prayer would be, 
Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. We don't even know what to pray for. Would you guide us and help us to know what to pray? This is sweet sort of dependency upon God, even for what we would ask for, what we, what we would pray for. So we're, we come to him in humility and with persistence and in a sense of dependency. And then also we come in obedience to God. We come to God in obedience. Very important. Uh, probably you have experienced this before. Have you ever had somebody come to you with a problem? And maybe you were a little further along and you were able to diagnose what was going on and you suggested to this person that they take X action. And months later or years later, they come back to you and they have the same problem. And they never took X action. And now the problem is worse. And you want to say, I told you so, and and you could. But part of it is your heart just breaks because you remember when they first came and spoke with you that they refused to take your input, the thing you wanted to say. Into, into, I go back to Miss Gabay, and how, how many times did I have to hit my head against that wall uh, of learning and growing because I wasn't willing to take what she said and really absorb it and obey and in humility just say, yes, okay, I'm going to trust you. You're wiser. You're more mature. And we come to God sometimes in that way. And he, he, he shows us in his word what we're supposed to do in response to our, our prayers And then we're frustrated because nothing changes. And when at the end, what's happened is that we haven't obeyed. We just haven't been supple in his hands. We haven't responded to God with obedience and been willing to do what he's asked us to do. And we're wondering why it seems like our prayer is not answered. And it's because we haven't approached him with a sense of obedience. Very important that we don't filter God's solutions through our own rubric and decide whether or not we want to follow his directions according to our own whims and desires, but that we really truly submit ourselves and entrust ourselves to God and shatter the idol of self and allow him to be God and to be all in all when we come to him in prayer and to obey humbly and simply to obey his words in scripture and how he leads us and guides us. So how we approach God matters, and those are just several instances of of why it matters Um, We could go on and on. The list is almost endless. And if you look through your Bible and and read your Bible, you'll see wonderful examples of how people come to God uh, and and how important it is that we come uh, to God uh, in a way that honors who He is and who we are. But for the second point of today, I wanted to focus in on one particular aspect of our approaching God, and that is coming to God in faith. Coming to God in faith. How we approach God matters. We approach God in faith. Now, interestingly, Andrew Murray, the author of the book Humility, has a chapter called Humility and Faith, and I commend it to you. Um, This book is available online. Um, This chapter on humility and faith has some insights that I have just found very profound, Um, and he connects our humility to our faith. Um, He talks about how if you don't have humility, you really ultimately can't have faith, and just explains that in a wonderful, rich way. And we see that in the flowing of this, that that faith is absolutely critical and and we need this humility. Now, when we approach God in faith, um, the theme is encapsulated in Jesus' uh, teaching in in Matthew 21, verse 22, which simply says this, uh, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, that's a pretty powerful verse, isn't it? I encourage you to memorize that verse and to sort of let it swirl around in your mind this week. Whatever you ask for in prayer, 
you know, oh, I had it memorized in a different version, so this really messes me up. You will receive if you have faith. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So uh, that's the point. That's the promise that we have from God. But what I want to do is I want to talk about a particular Old Testament saint who exemplifies and gives us a little bit more of a breakdown of the anatomy of faith to help us to see how we can get to the place where we actually are believing that verse and living according to that promise that Jesus Christ has made. And to do that, I want to talk a little bit about the person of Abraham and then uh, look a little bit at the, the reflections in the book of Romans on the person of Abraham. Now, uh, Abraham is the father of our faith, and he's really the father of faith in a sense. He's where this, this, this faith sort of approach to God uh, it really began and is most commended to us. And so it's important for us to understand the person of Abraham. Um, his journey is a journey towards faith in his creator. Now, Abraham, uh, when he was 75 years old, uh, received a promise from God that he would be the father of many nations and that he would uh, have a child and out of that child would come many nations and it would be great, there would be multitudes of nations He's 75 years old. He doesn't have a kid yet. He goes on, and at age 99, he still doesn't have a child by his wife, Sarah, and yet the promise still is supposedly holding. So almost 25 years later, he's still waiting for the fulfillment of the promise given to him earlier on. Now, there are some weak moments with Abraham and Sarah, Sarah says, why don't you take my servant as your wife and have a child with her? And Abraham, in his weakness, doesn't dispute and goes along with the plan and um, has a child and um, doesn't wait on God and trusts on God. And then right in the next chapter, uh, the promise comes, no, Abraham, you will have a child with Sarah. And, 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 and they laugh. They can't believe momentarily what God is going to do. And so there's this moments of weakness in the life of Abraham. Um, but the underlying sort of movement of Abraham is one of faith. And, and maybe you've experienced this a little bit as well. I was thinking about my life. I get so frustrated when I look back and I think of all the times that I've doubted God when I really had no reason to. Over and over again, I'm saddened by the amount of doubt in my life. And even this week, times when I doubted and I, and I shouldn't have doubted. And yet, underlying all that, to, by the grace of God, there is forward progress of faith in my life. That, that I'm still here, right? <laughs> I'm still seeking the Lord. I'm still trusting God for what's coming in the future. Under, underneath it all, there's this sort of sense of faith, a gift from God that's trust. And, and, and it's, it's there. And maybe you feel that way too. You say... You know, I've, I've doubted God so much, and I'm, I hate that, and I'm such a doubter. But, but wait a second, you're still seeking the Lord. You're still believing. You're still following. You know, let's not forget that baseline that's part of your... And Abraham's journey was a bit like that. There were moments of weakness. He wasn't perfect, and yet his faith grew throughout until you get now... Uh, the, the promise comes that the child's going to be born right away when he's 99. The child's born when he's 100. And then somewhere when he's about 118, um, we don't know exactly, but probably in that, in that uh, area, um, he's asked to now sacrifice the child that he waited so long for. 
that was God's promise on his life. And in Genesis 22, he takes the child up. And one of the most poignant chapters in the Bible just boggles the mind. Um, Abraham goes and he takes his son Isaac and and he puts him on the altar to sacrifice him. And he's right there at the point of sacrificing his son. And then God intervenes and provides a ram in the thicket. And you just, you marvel at Abraham's faith. I mean, take the, whatever in your life is most precious to you and put it on the altar. You know, some things I can do that with and some things I just have this, this inner turmoil. My faith is not that great. And Abraham, in that period of time, his faith grew and was strengthened until he was able to sacrifice what was most precious to him. He was willing to do that. And God intervened and he didn't have to do it. Now, in the book of Romans, Paul reflects back on the life of Abraham and the faith of Abraham. And it's in Romans 4, verse 20. And if, if you want to turn to there, it would be great. Um, it's on page 806 in the Bible that we hand out. Romans 4, verse 20, reflecting on the life of Abraham. And I'm going to start a little bit before verse 20. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. This was the promise that was made. So shall your offspring be. Verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. She had not been able to have a child. Verse 20. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's our model. That's our model. We approach God in faith. And Abraham is our model. Now, what I want to do is just pull out some, some uh, points regarding faith from this text and let those shape the way we approach God in prayer. We've got about four, four or five of these. First of all, let's remember that doubt happens, okay? Doubt happens. Unbelief happens. You see it in the life of Abraham, and yet he's still commended to us as a man of faith, Okay? So if Abraham could have moments like that, then certainly you and I should not be surprised if we have moments of doubt in our lives. You know, don't trip on the fact that you have doubts, all right? be one way to put it. Don't let it derail you and pull, and, 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 and pull you away from what God is doing. Now, some of you probably come into this gathering and you look around and you go, wow, all these people who always have faith and never doubt... I don't feel like that. Uh, And and you start to remove yourself from the community because you assume that other people don't struggle with doubts. And I'm telling you, Abraham even struggled. So uh, I can guarantee you that every one of us in this room struggles with doubt at times. It's part of life. It's part of how we move through this faith journey. Doubts propel us forward oftentimes. So we're not saying that there's no place for doubt we're talking about the importance of faith. In fact, some of the times of my greatest faith have grown out of the times of the greatest doubt and struggle that I've had in that. So doubt happens. We know that about this journey with God. Number two, 
Faith is, we learn from the example of Abraham, faith is rightly defining our circumstances. Faith is rightly defining our circumstances. On the one hand, Abraham was old. And his wife was barren. That's what the verse says. Those are the two facts staring Abraham in the face. I'm old. My wife is barren. Okay? Now, the temptation would be for him to define himself and his situation according to those two facts, right? But there's another fact that's also in play. And what is that? That God has promised that he's good, that he's powerful, that he's involved. Okay? And we face this continually. This defining our circumstances situation. Are we going to define it by the fact that we're old and our wife is barren, to use the example of Abraham, or whatever the facts are in your life, and you know what they are, even right now as we're sitting here, you've got, you've got situations in your life that are a struggle, and the facts that are staring you in the face are not good. And you can let that define your circumstance, or you can let your circumstance be defined not by what you see with your physical eyes, but what you see with your eyes of faith, which is the power and the goodness and the majesty of God. And we're in this constant journey of switching the definition from the circumstances that seem to be staring us in the face to the reality we know by faith of the living, loving God of the universe who's at work. And there's this little simple question and if, if you've met with me and, and shared your struggles with me, you, you may have heard me say this. I say it to myself all the time. I say it to my accountability partner all the time. Um, it, it, it's this little f- question that for me helps me to, to kind of go from, okay, I'm 100 and my wife's barren circumstances to uh, God is big and powerful and living and loving. And it's, it's just to ask yourself this question in the middle of it. What is God doing right now? What is God doing in this circumstance? And that opens the way for you again to think about who God is and to think less about the circumstances that are staring you in the face and what it is that God might be doing through the circumstances that are staring you in the face. So, faith is rightly defining your circumstances. What is God doing now? Number three, faith grows with use. Faith grows with use. It's like a muscle, it seems. Um, the more you apply faith in your life, the stronger your faith seems to get. I don't know how Abraham got to the point where when God asked him to sacrifice his son, he was able to take his son up to the mountaintop and put him on the altar. That boggles my mind, and I can't, I can't figure that out. And I'd I be really honest with you, I am definitely not there in my faith. When I try to think of what's most precious to me and think of that, I don't know how he, he got there. But he did, over time, increase his faith. That's what the verse says in Romans. It says, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. 
So there's something that happens in our faith. There's a growth process in our faith. As we continue to walk this journey with God, our faith becomes stronger. And there's a bunch of other complicated issues with this too. Um, In order for that to happen, there needs to be hardship in our lives. And I don't know what to do with that. And I don't know what to do with the people I know who oftentimes have been the greatest beacons of faith in my life, who've been living in the midst of the greatest hardship I've ever seen. And somehow watching them walk through that with faith encourages my faith. And I don't know what God is doing in that all the time, but maybe this is part of his plan to to, to give us models of faith is in the midst of hardship. And some of these hardships come uh, with that purpose and and with that demonstration of God's faith. And you, you think of it as a muscle, and there are people I know who are very... Um, not muscular on the outside, but who've gone through hardships, and they are Arnold Schwarzenegger on the inside, right? Because they have been strengthened by challenging circumstances over and over again, and have had to have faith in the midst of that, and their faith has grown by God's mercy. And so they have a new level of faith. So faith grows with use. Number four, faith gives glory to God. Faith gives glory to God. That's what the verse says. It says, um, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. That motivates me. That really motivates me. And why is that? Because I like God. I really do. And I want to glorify God. Like there's a piece of me Amidst all the sin and the parts that are messed up, there's somewhere deep inside of me, there's something in me that really does want to glorify God with my life. And the thought that me expressing faith in the midst of my circumstances could bring glory to God motivates me towards faith. I want to bring glory to God. And it's a simple way that I do so. So I, I face that circumstance. I think, well, how am I going to face this? Am I going to whine and complain and, and struggle? And, and uh, struggling is good. I'm not trying to say that. But, or am I going to say, um, am I going to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to step out and, and because I love the Lord and I want to bring him glory, I'm going to step into this situation and believe that even though I can't see what's going on, he will be made glorified as a result. And people watching the faith that he has given me will bring glory to him. Faith brings glory to God. And then lastly, faith focuses on the promiser. Faith focuses on the promiser. This verse, the way it's written, it doesn't say he was fully convinced that he would have a child. The emphasis is not on the fact that he would have a child. It's a very subtle shift. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You see that subtle difference? It's very easy for us to focus on the promise more than the promiser. And it's even possible for us to make an idol out of the promise and leave behind the promiser. But Abraham, and the way it's worded in in the book of Romans here, is Abraham's focus was on the one who was able to provide and to make good on the promise. That's where the focus has to remain. If our our prayer requests and our hopes and our dreams don't draw us into greater relationship with God, the promiser, then we need to wonder, are are we making idol out of 
the thing that we, we think we need and we want. At the end of the day, it's more about the promiser than the promise. And the, the, I love the wording in this because it reminds me of that very, very important truth that our focus is on the promiser. It keeps us from potential idolatry and it makes a huge difference in the way we approach God. Now, Abraham had this kind of faith. It was, uh, it was, it was uh, rightly defining circumstances. It was growing. It was giving glory to God and it was focused on the promiser. He had this kind of faith and there was a staggering outcome as a result in the life of Abraham. A staggering outcome. The key moment is in Genesis 22 when he takes the boy up and he puts him on the altar and he's about to sacrifice him and God intervenes, gives a ram in the thicket and, and he doesn't have to interact. But what, here's what God says on the other side of that expression of faith in the person of Abraham. Here's what God says in response. By myself, God says, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand uh, that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And that offspring is Jesus Christ, number one, and then it's the family of God that comes out of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, which is us sitting here in this room. God made good on that promise that came through the faith of Abraham. And even give a model in that, the sacrificing of his son gives a paradigm that then God will use for the, for the sacrificing of his son, Jesus Christ, to bring many to redemption. And it was actually a sacrifice that was made and not withheld. And we have that paradigm here in the person of Abraham because of his faith. So I ask you then, as we finish up, what will be the outcome of your faith as you come to God in prayer and as you practice what Abraham teaches us, rightly defining your circumstances, letting your prayer grow through the cha- your faith grow through the challenges, um, believing because it gives glory to God, focusing on the promiser more than just the promise. As you approach God in that way, what will be the outcome of your faith and your prayer? Now, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think lives will be changed. Um, God has put something on your heart, some way for His will to be expressed in your life, and, and those are the things that we're putting on that prayer bookmark. God has placed these things on our hearts, some way for His will to be expressed. It might be that there's some particular person that you've been praying for that you want to encourage, you want to bring to faith, you want to see come to faith. It might be that there's a situation in the world around you or in your workplace or something you drive by on the way home from work. Um, it might just be that you're carrying out the life that God has given you and you're day-to-day trusting Him and, and living it out. Something in that requires faith and the result of your faith is going to be God working in a particular way to bring blessing to glorification to himself and blessing to others. Now, one of the things in my life that's been like that is um, starting a church, starting churches. And I, I debated whether to share this. I, I get sick of talking about my stuff. And yet, at, some, it's at the same level, the Bible has to go through my heart as we're here this morning, and, and it's got to rattle around. And then this sort of applies to all of us in some ways. But one of the dreams... And, and the prayers that, that I've had, I've tried to come to God in faith, is that God would, 
would first of all plant a church. And actually, to be honest with you, it wasn't just one church that I was praying about. It was multiple churches around the Bay Area. That was, before this church ever started, that was in rattling around in the heart and, and the sense of saying, Lord, you're big enough. I know you're big enough to do that. I know I could ever do that, but you're big enough to do that. Can we step out in faith and, and maybe see if that might happen, if you might move in that way in this place where there are so few churches, where the number of people in church is so, uh, so, so much less than in the rest of the country. And so we set out on that journey, and there were, there were many moments of incredible doubt. And, and you've heard the stories before, my wife finding me, you know, in a ball in the shower, just totally undone and unable to continue feeling like broken and no faith left and doubting and almost taking a job back in Hershey, Pennsylvania, a ministry position because it just felt like we weren't making it and couldn't do it. And um, I watched this movie during this time called 12 O'Clock High. And uh, it's an old war movie, and none of you have ever, none of you have seen it except Jim and Don and, okay, Susanna. Um, incredible movie. All right, good. Extra credit, huh? No. Um, incredible movie. Uh, my, one of my top two movies ever. Um, and in the middle of this movie, there, it's in World War II, and there's this bomber squad, and they're, in, they're, they're going into um, Europe. And it's way at the beginning of the war, and there's no American support really yet for the war effort, and they're, they're getting just slaughtered, and they're barely struggling. And one of the commanders says to one of the other commanders, he says, if we can just hold on a little bit longer, reinforcements are coming. Reinforcements are coming. If we can just hold on a little bit longer. And that just leapt out of the movie to me. And I just, I just started weeping, <laughs> and I thought, I have very little left, but... I'm going to hold on a little bit longer. And I know a lot of you were with us in that journey, and you were holding on a little bit longer at times. And um, something began to happen, and God began to grow this particular church. And in the last weeks, something else seems to be happening with this new district superintendent that's coming who has a vision and a heart for planting churches in the Bay Area. It feels like reinforcements are coming. It feels like reinforcements are coming. And we had a meeting this week with Reach Global. Reach Global is, that's an amen to what we're talking about. Um, Reach Global is the missions arm for the free church. And uh, Brent's Compline's father is part of Reach Global. He oversees all of Africa, but he's also on the board for the Reach Global. And Reach Global is wanting to maybe make San Francisco, the Bay Area, one of its key cities of focus for ministry and church planting. And so you have the the DS thing, and then you have the, the, the international missions coming together, and it feels like reinforcements are coming, right? And so that for, for me, the little bit of the journey in my life has been the, the, how this has worked out is in that one particular area. And maybe it's a journey, too, for all of us as a church now to begin thinking about how God is going to use this church to start other churches in the Bay Area, to plant more churches and to see more people reached for the gospel. So I want to lay that out there before us as part of our prayer series and our prayer requests. God, what are you doing in our midst? Maybe you're calling us to something there. And I don't know if this is going to happen in my lifetime. Maybe not, because it doesn't really matter, because I'm not focused on the promise. I'm focused on the promiser, right, at the end of the day. And so we move forward. And I know you've got things that you need to move forward to. And you don't know when the promises will be fulfilled, but you focus on the promiser. Lord, we thank you for being the promiser.
We know that one day all of the needs that we have will be wrapped up in you. All the desires and the longings and the hopes and the dreams will be completely fulfilled in heaven. And that's solid ground. So we can risk. We can take big risks now. We can step out in faith. We can lean into you because you're good. And that future won't be changed. So we can take risks now. So guide us in this process, Lord. I know there's dreams represented in many different ways in this community, hopes of faith. And I ask, Lord, that uh, for each of us, you would draw us in prayer closer to you, that we might hear you and listen to you, that our focus might be upon you. We might be good waiters like Abraham was. And that when we do receive the promise, we might not hold on to it tightly like Abraham didn't, but all along maintained his faith in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.